Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. Our talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to your special Saturday Buckeye Talk from Cleveland.com. We're here in Radio Row. It's not really a row, it's a Radio Square at the NFL Scouting Combine in Indianapolis. We stole some unsuspecting radio station's table, and Nathan Baird and I are doing Buckeye Talk here. So, this is the first live Buckeye Talk we've done in quite some time. And I think we're okay shouting because, like everybody else here, is doing radio shows and podcasts, and no one seems to be staring at us. When I use my buck, I talk voice. Did anyone? No, I turned that, a couple heads. That did turn heads. Okay, yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll try to keep my normal voice. Then uh, we are here, Nathan, to talk about C.J. Stroud and Jackson Smith and Jigba, who we interviewed on Friday morning at the NFL Combine. It was quarterbacks and receivers and tight ends. They both will be working out Saturday, so we would want to direct. Uh, our loyal Buckeye Talk listeners to the NFL Network on Saturday to watch C.J. Stroud throw on air and Jackson Smith and Jigba not run the 40 but do all the other drills, right? Correct, yeah. I think that starts around 2 p.m. Um, check your local listings, I suppose. 1 or 2 p.m. Uh, Smith and Jigba said that he is going to do all of the events except the 40, that he hasn't had enough time to uh, train and do enough reps in the 40 because guys really get you know specialized on that. Uh, when it gets in the pre-draft process. But everything else I think he's, he's supposed to be doing, and Stroud is supposed to be... Stroud didn't really get into what he's doing as far as events. It may just be throwing for him, but he is scheduled to throw. So we will get into C.J. Stroud, and we want to get into not just what C.J. Stroud said on Friday, but trying to figure out where we think he might fit in this NFL draft among the QB needy teams. And Bryce Young from Alabama becomes part of that discussion. Anthony Richardson from Florida, I think, becomes part of that discussion. And we will do that later. But Jackson Smith and Jigba is the news on this day, Nathan Baird, because we split stuff up. We were both at CJ, but I was at Bryce Young during the first interview session while you were at Jackson Smith and Jigba. So I did not hear what he said. But for Ohio State writers, listen, Jackson Smith and Jigba is here for what's next. He is on to the NFL. He is in contention to be the number one receiver picked in this draft. There's no Jamar Chase in this draft, right? right. So so it's a, not a weaker crop, but there's not a guy he has to contend with like that. But this was also the first chance for Ohio State reporters and this Ohio State audience to hear anything from a guy who was expected to be the best receiver in college football in 2022 and played fewer than 100 snaps. So 
What happened to that guy? Was he hurt or something? He was hurt. He was uh, he was nicked up, as they say. Obviously, the hamstring injury that occurred on opening night and just never recovered to the point where he was able to sustain something this season. And really, I know he was going to get a lot of questions today from, hey, we worked out for this team, and hey, what do you think of CJ? But I, I mean, this is the first time we talked to him since before the season. We have not talked to him. No Ohio State reporters had talked to him about this injury. And I wanted to ask him from his perspective, like, what happened? And more to the point, could you guys have handled that differently? I don't even know if better is the right word. It's a tricky word to use because we only have or we have all of the benefit of hindsight now. We know that when he tried to come back, it didn't work. So now do you? it's, it's easy to say, well, you just should have not tried to come back because then you could have played later in the season. But I asked him because and, and, I was curious what he would think, and this is the quote he gave. Definitely wish I would have just been more patient, but I'm a competitor wanting to be out there. I didn't, do, I didn't know too much about hamstrings. I hadn't really dealt with one, so I wish I had more information. I wish I would have definitely dealt with it better. So I guess he did. He used the word better. I wish I would have dealt with it better. And I, I you know, when I, I texted it out to our uh, subscribers, and some people immediately responded with, oh, I, you know, that, that tells you everything you need to know about Ohio State's training staff. And I don't think that was him trying to throw the training staff under the bus, the medical staff. I think that was him saying that even if there is a, a even if they have now learned something about this, uh, through his process, through Jordan Hancock's process this year, there was some self-admission there, too, of he was pushing. He wanted to come back and play. He didn't want to be deprived. I mean, every game you miss is one you're never going to get back because he knew this was his last year at Ohio State. So he was pushing hard to try to get back on the field because he wanted to have the full season, and he wanted to uh, have everything that was promised to him coming into this year that had, that he had promised himself coming into this year. So I, I I think there's probably more uh, scrutiny that should be placed on from the medical side of, of how this broke down, and, and that's uh, not what you do at the podium at the Combine. But I think that from Jackson's standpoint, again, just in that brief exchange that we had, I, I didn't get this as him having regrets medically necessarily. It was more regrets that um, in the if you look back now, you would say if he had shut it down the first half of the year and not come back until October – late October, early November or whatever, he might have been able to play till the end of the year. But there's no guarantee of that even. It does. So it, it's, it's a hard uh, needle to thread because I don't know that it's about blame. Right. But we can look at the outcome and say this was the worst outcome they could have had. Definitely. Because he was an awesome player and he played 60 snaps. He played 15 snaps in the opener against Notre Dame. He comes back in week three against Toledo, which now, as we have this conversation, seems nuts. It's like, oh, just make sure you're back for the Mac opponent. It's like, right. why? What were they like? Did but this? That, I think that tells you something, that they know the Mac opponent doesn't matter. But he's thinking, if I get back on the field against this Mac opponent, I can show that I'm healthy and ready to play the rest of the season. Right. I think that was the pro. I think that's the thought process. Right, but again, we're doing we're we're uh, doing we're doing revision. We're doing right. an outcome based analysis. Yes, yes. And so that seems fast. He he left the Notre Dame game, took one week off, because again, I don't remember exactly how much he practiced before Toledo, but they weren't going to play him if he didn't practice. Right. So he took one week off, and then came back and reaggravated it. And then he comes back again after the bye week 
which, uh, you know, you throw your bye week in. That's everybody says, oh, after the bye week, get through the bye week. So the bye week they play in week eight is their seventh game of the year, October 22nd against Iowa. He comes back for that game, 22 snaps, and that's it. He's done. So in a world where we all kind of knew, no offense to the rest of the Big Ten, that once they got through the Notre Dame game, which they had some trouble doing in part because they didn't have him, it was really about Michigan in the playoff. And so it doesn't mean that everybody who gets hurt in the opener suddenly goes on the get ready for Michigan rehab plan. Well, sorry you hurt your toenail in the opener. You're out for 10 weeks. We just got to get you ready for Michigan because nobody's afraid of Rutgers. You can't exactly operate that way. But knowing how it worked out, and again, the idea here is not blame. I asked Ryan Day about, you know, the injuries, the Jordan Hancock stuff, the Jackson Smith and Jigba stuff. Did they think there were any issues? He said, no, you know, I don't know what the answer was, but we're fine. It's quite bad. Yeah. <laughs> I can, and I know it's, I mean, anything when you look back in history, it's like, hey, you know, that whole, th- you know, the whole thing with that big blimp, not a great idea. It's like, <laughs> oh, let's revisionist history. It's like, well, the blimp blew up and caught on fire. Yeah. If it didn't catch on fire, we wouldn't be revising anything because it would just be a blimp floating in the air. He would just be, you know what we're not doing revisionist history on? Like Chris Olave. Because I don't know, he just played. Yeah. So, I mean, this is what you have to do. But I don't know that it's, I don't know what it is. It's information added to the discussion because we had not talked to this guy since it happened. But for him to say, I have regrets about coming back too early, even in the process of not assigning blame, there is a part of me that wants to say, shouldn't there have been someone in charge who told him, don't rush back, it's hamstring? Like there's part of me... the intent is not blame, but man, I hope there were some lessons learned here. I think there were. Uh, and, and again, when you asked Ryan Day that question back on February 1st, he was very quick to go to, well, yes, there are parallels between Jackson Smith and Jigman and Jordan Hancock. Those were the two like very prominent hamstring injuries this season, but he also thought they were unique. And with Smith, Smith and Jigman, I, I, I think sometimes... I'm not a medical expert, but it sounds like there it can be difficult sometimes to diagnose the severity of the hamstring injury. And because Smith and Jigman also, I should just call him Jackson, was telling us today, it's only been two or three weeks since he thought he was 100%. A guy who hasn't played a football game since October 22nd and who shut down from playing at all in, in the, the postseason. So all of December, you would assume he was off. Like He's just now saying a couple weeks ago he was back at 100% and not even early enough to get ready to run the 40 at the Combine. Although guys sometimes don't do that anyway. So that may have just been an excuse he was throwing. But it, it tells you, I think, how just how serious this was and how I think, unfortunately, it's not like he's like a guinea pig, but I think this is how medicine works, this is how science works. They may know more about how to handle the next one the next time it comes through. It's hard because we saw how good he was and then he got hurt. The, the guy that we reference all the time here is Marshawn Lattimore, who had two seasons of hamstring issues. Continued... hamstring issues that basically cost him his first two seasons at Ohio State. And then when he got healthy, then we saw how good he was. But if Marshawn Lattimore had been hurt and All-American and then missed his third year for hamstring issues again, you'd be like, oh my, how could this happen? So it's like sort of the the way it happened with Jackson. And it wasn't a tease because you got a full-throated season of awesome play. He's the leading single-season receiver in Big Ten history. It's not like, oh, I wish we would have seen Jackson at his best. It's like, you mean when he had 1,632 <laughs> receiving yards? That, yes. <laughs> right. 
I wanted 2,000. Did you ask if about 2,000, if you think it would have had 2,000? I didn't. Oh, I should have been over there. Okay. We'll get that. <laughs> we'll get that at pro day. Jackson, just to again, put a bow on this. 2,000 yards, probable, right? So, um, I, I, if you were frustrated, Ohio State fans, hey, were you frustrated by the best receiver in college football playing 60 snaps last year? Oh, you were? It's weird because we were just having a conversation with our friend Dane Brugler, Ohio native, great draft expert for The Athletic, who was saying, I don't think I'm speaking out of turn. He, he can hear me now. He was saying like he thought if, if Marvin Harrison Jr. is in this draft, the Bears might have to think about keeping the number one pick. That's how good he is. And there's no, this is no offense to Jackson Smith and Jibba. Go line them up next to each other and say, hey, who do you think looks like the better NFL receiver? Right. You, you're, you're the size you are. I think both Marvin and Jackson maximize who they are. Marv just got kind of a lot to work with. That's <laughs> a genetic advantage. Yeah. As they say. So, so Marv's going to be really good. It was, I don't even want to say that it was odd, but it was like, hey, remember how Ohio State had the best receiver in the country? And then it's like, yeah. And then remember how they had the best receiver in the country, right? The thing about right, right. The, the king is dead, long live the king. Right. Whatever. It's like the the best receiver in the country is gone, long live the best receiver in the country. I don't know if it makes you forget. I think it certainly ramps down the uh, that could have been there, but would have been there at almost every other school. And I don't know how it would affect. I think it would have had at least some small effect on the on the. Not necessarily the skill or talent or development of Marvin Harrison Jr., perhaps the stats. Certainly perhaps the it stats. Would, have, would have taken Certainly us longer to realize how awesome he is because they would have been feeding Jackson a lot. But in the end, I, don't, I also don't want us to go too far with that and be like, oh, well, no big deal. They had Marvin. It's like, yeah, they should have had well, both. Right. They should have had both. And what would that have been? Because what did Jackson Smith and Jigma say it would have been? They would have won a national championship. And if. You can't say that they didn't miss him because he had Marv because we saw what happened when they didn't have Marv in the national championship game. Now, all of a sudden, you don't have Marvin Harrison for the most important drives of the season, and you can't tell me that Jackson Smith and Jigba wouldn't have been a huge help in that circumstance. I mean, probably the closest comparison to what you were just talking about would have been 2018, right, where you have Nick Bosa and Chase Young, and you get to put them at either end of a defensive line in the most important games of the year. And there were other things I know that that, team had a problem with obviously it wasn't just like they weren't getting the edge rush that they wanted and chase young got banged up too right so he wasn't yeah. playing it at full speed but that's like the closest thing to this where you could have maybe had two generational type players at the same position and just really folded teams in on themselves and and leveraged the crap out of them and that didn't come to fruition and and we've covered this here before i was just talking about this with somebody else just like the litany of final seasons denied for Ohio State greats, from Chris Carter to Keith Byers to Braxton Miller to Nick Bosa to Jackson Smith and Jigba and I'm sure to Terrell Pryor, right? I'm leaving some guys out probably, but just for whatever reason, whether it's off-field stuff, whether it's injury, that you did. It's not like you didn't. You never got to see it, but you saw enough of it to know that you wanted it again. Yeah. I want more of that, and you. You should have gotten more of it, and you didn't, is this goes on that list, and we needed this for closure on the topic, Nathan, because I think we needed to know from Jackson Smith and Jigba, is there nothing that could have been done? That in the end, I just had such a certain type of hamstring issue that no matter what happened, it was just going to be it. 
or did it feel like it was mishandled? Not not because not through incompetence, not through lack of trying, not through forcing a player to do something he wasn't prepared to do, not through the player's fault at all. Because again, this guy wants to play. Credit to this dude. Again, I think we can put that to rest, right? That whatever yeah, was happening, and then at the end of the year, like, oh, this guy or whatever. It's like this guy tried to hang on for as long as he could, yeah. trying to get back in some way, and it just never happened. He definitely termed it today as until they told him that he would not be able to play in the national championship game if that if they got that far, that there was still no way that was going to happen. That was the point at which he decided to stop it. So it wasn't even about playing in the semifinal. If they had told him that's probably too early, but give it another 10 days and you're probably good, if they get that far, you, I don't think – I think he might have hung on. I think there was no reason to, like, announce it. Yeah. I, there was some – I mean, just because I think it, it, it definitely had become a bit of a distraction. I think, you know, Ohio State was – if there was finality, then, you know, let's go ahead and do it. But I think Ohio State wasn't going to push him – towards making that decision earlier than there was finality either, right? Like, there was nobody benefited, really, from him not being able to play yeah. if he could play. So, uh, but yeah, so there should be finality on that. And, I, again, it's it's just so tough to use the term mishandled because I, I really do think, having talked to everybody that we've talked to over these last six months, and it's really been that long, that I think everybody was trying to do the best thing. And, again, I don't think Jackson Smith and Jigba, I mean, the family that he comes from, they kind of know what's going on athletically. I think they would have had – they have some sense about this stuff too. And like you said, there's no reason to push to come back against Toledo if you don't think you're good. Like yep. I think he believed he was good enough to play that day until he got on the field and wasn't. But but even if – again, I, I, not the word blame, but to me, if you get hurt in week one, you come back in week three, you re-aggravate it. You come back in week eight, week eight you re-aggravate it. Right. And then you never play again. I'm not afraid of the word mishandle, <laughs> mishandled there. Not with intent and not with malice and not with what's the thing when you are, uh, you know, you don't do your job. Not with negligence, yeah. not with negligence. Right. But certainly with you could have done better, right? It doesn't mean that I'm, I'm not like saying like go fire everybody on the training staff or whatever, yeah. but like it was bad. This is bad, isn't this bad? This is bad. You're right. It's it's it's, it's just it's hard when it it's hard when all you get is the worst possible outcome. Yeah. Like if if you were to look back and say like, oh, um, it's too bad. Like he was deprived of an All American season, but hey, he came back and played in the playoffs and they won a national championship. Nobody would really be crying about the fact that he missed his two thousand yards or his his Heisman contention, his All American, whatever, because he still would have gotten the the final. Uh, positive right. outcome of everything, but to just not get him at all for the Michigan game, for the playoff. Like, you didn't get any of it. You just got this fleeting glimpse of him, and when you did see him, after he took the hit in the Notre Dame game, even those two games that he came back and played, even before the aggravation happened, he didn't look like himself. He did not look like Jackson Smith and Jigba 2021. It just, something was, wasn't there yet. I don't know whether that was mentally or physically for him. It just hadn't come back all the way. And then when you saw him limping off the field in both of those games and over on the sideline stretching his leg out, you just knew that uh, this wasn't probably going to happen. So, you know, I just thought it would have been good. So, Marv takes the hit against Georgia, goes to the sideline. And Ohio State comes out on the next series, and they're like, oh, Marvin Harrison Jr., they've taken his helmet. He's still on the sideline. But here comes Jackson Smith and Jingle. Like, like Willis Reed. Yeah. And, uh, 
Jackson just comes over and takes Marvin's Hamlet yeah. from him and puts it on. See, this is the kind of stuff. This is why we have to write football movies. <laughs> because, like, if they just would have said, Jackson, it's just not going to work. You're out unless Marvin gets hurt. He was there. He did you ask about that? Did you, did you consider going into the game when Marvin got hurt? Was that question that asked? No. Okay, so no. this is the other thing, because I know you did ask this question, and now I realize this is karmic. The combine used to be much less of a deal. Even long enough ago, like when I was covering it, and I'm like not 100, right? It's one of those things, ah, back in 1971 when I was here and there were six reporters. So not that, but after the 2015 season, the 2016 combine was still much smaller than what this is today, at least from a, from a media perspective. Um, and I can remember asking these questions at the combine and writing about this because I did, and I also wrote about it. I think I was the only person who wrote about it after the game. The 2015 Fiesta Bowl, Jalen Smith, Notre Dame linebacker, first round pick, possible top 10 pick, is playing in a meaningless bowl game. And Taylor Decker, future first round pick of the Ohio State Buckeyes, makes a block on Jalen Smith that causes him to land awkwardly and hurt his knee in a way that changes the trajectory of the rest of his life. It affects his draft status. He ends up being, I think, a second-round pick, but that even felt like maybe a reach in the moment because he was so hurt. And he's just ne- he just never got to be the NFL player that you thought he was going to be. And I can remember asking Taylor Decker about that after the game, about the block, and it's one of those that's probably right on the edge of through the whistle kind of block. And Taylor Decker said, man, like, I feel terrible. I never intended for anything like that to happen. He's a great player. Um, you know, it wasn't, a, it wasn't a flag, wasn't a dirty play, like right on the edge. And I can remember being here asking Jalen Smith about that hit, about that block, right? Taylor Decker's a lineman blocking a linebacker. And I think he was just kind of like, you know, it's rough. It's the way the game works. It's a Notre Dame hit on an Ohio State guy that takes him out for a season and potentially affects the trajectory of his career. Maybe we're looping back around. It was an Ohio State player on a great Notre Dame player. Now it's a Notre Dame player on a great Ohio State player. And you talked to Brandon Joseph, the Notre Dame safety, who was involved in the play, right? So well, we should be careful because he did hit Jackson Smith Jigba on that play. We don't. It's a soft tissue injury to his leg. He hit him higher than that. I don't he know that he didn't punch him in the hamstring. The hit didn't. We don't know that the hit caused the hamstring injury. But it was definitely the play that it happened on him. Just People, a bunch of hamstring punchers. Can you imagine? Like, oh, that guy's a hamstring puncher. We're not saying he's that. He's not that. Yeah. And, but it may have caused. I'm not saying it didn't cause the hamstring injury. But we don't know for sure that it did. And there are people who um, have termed that play dirty because it came a little high. I think if you look at it on the replay, Jackson is stiff-arming one defender. He's falling forward as, as Joseph is doing what you ask safeties to do which is come across the field at a high rate of speed and make the finishing tackle and he hits Jackson I think in the back but still pretty high 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 on the back as he's knocking him out of bounds knocks his helmet off and so it was worth asking and I was most interested I started the, the question with hey did you run into Jackson Smith and Jigba have you seen him here and he's like, yeah. Did, like, did you ask it like, have you run? It, did you run into Jackson at full speed? Like you ran into him <laughs> on the sideline. <laughs> I said, hey, did you did you guys meet up? I can remember exactly how I termed it, but he said, yeah, that they had actually met in the hall or whatever in passing and sort of just exchanged a, a what's up. And he said it was a completely smiling reaction. I did not follow up and ask Jackson about that today because there were just so many other things to ask about. But 
Um, he said it was a good, he said, it's all good. We're all good, whatever, uh, something along those lines. And at least that's from Joseph's perspective. But he also, I asked him, what do you remember about the play? How did you see that play? And he said, it was just, I came in and hit him to, he was still in bounds when I hit him. I was hitting him to finish the play. And that was all, that's it from his perspective. He's, he's always been a, a guy who is, um, what do I say? Kind of, I can be an outspoken guy, Brandon Joseph. Seems like a pretty confident young man. Had a great start to his career at Northwestern and then maybe didn't follow up on that in terms of like accolades over the next couple of years and then transferred from Northwestern to, to Notre Dame. It had it has a history of Ohio State having faced him now a few times. And regardless of the cause and effect, he's always going to be linked with that play because yeah. that was the last guy to contact Jackson Smith and Jigba when he had a healthy hamstring at Ohio State. Okay, so... Jackson Smith and Jigba said he thinks they were the the national championship. If he played, he said he sort of has regrets about, like, the way it went down. What else came of this interview session? He is in contention. I, I think the consensus is that Jackson Smith and Jigba, Jordan Addison of Pitt, who then went to USC in his final year this past year, and Quentin Johnston, who was the best receiver for TCU, played in that national title game. They seem to be... The three receivers at the top of this draft. There's certainly some other guys that are. I think Zay Jones is a guy getting some attention. There's different Zay Flowers. Zay Flowers. Sorry. There's Boston another College. Zay. Yeah. Uh, there's different guys getting attention, but Jackson's in the mix, and I do think in the end Jackson and Jordan Addison share some traits, and I think how they test on Saturday and then at their pro days, I think potentially will matter. I think they both are kind of guys who are you know athletic, but not. Burners, not huge, but they run good routes. They have a knack for getting open. Quentin Johnston is just a bigger receiver, different kind of guy. But again, there's like there's not a Jamar Chase kind of guy in the, in this in this draft. So we're trying to get a handle on, on where Jackson's going to fit into this. What else did he have to say, sort of about what he thinks he'll bring to the NFL, how he fits in the league? Well, there's definitely some frustration on his part of where the discourse has gone with him over the past year because he hasn't been able to play and. You know, because he's not running the 40, you know, someone asked, and I thought it was a fair question. Like, people are still going to question now your long speed until you actually get on the field and, and run that time. And as you said, maybe he won't. Maybe he'll decide, maybe you know, get the pro day, and maybe he doesn't even do it there. Like, we'll see. It's supposedly the plan right now. But he, he termed that disrespectful. Not that the question was disrespectful, but he thought that people still questioning that might be disrespectful. He thought he had done enough on the field. And, you know, coming out of last season, after what he did, um, setting that record after what he did in the Rose Bowl, just kind of you know shredding uh, a good Utah team, although not a good Utah secondary necessarily uh, for that game. Um, that I, that he had he had put himself on the map, and that he if you were having this conversation coming out of last year's draft, people were already looking ahead to you know where he was going to go, how high he was going to go, and talking about two thousand yards and the the Heisman Trophy and all these things. And now it's it, it's just not. I mean, he's still in a great position being talked about as a likely first round pick obviously but it maybe isn't quite as uh, enthusiastic as it was the, the discourse around him so he's he his quote i mean the way he said it i'm i'm ready to show people what i can do he called himself he said my playmaking ability is second to none in the draft like he thinks he's the best playmaker here he said i he called himself not just one of the top 5 receivers but one of the top 5 players period in this draft so like his confidence has not been shaken he came out of last season thinking he had proven himself to be NFL ready NFL adjacent and regardless of this injury he feels like when healthy he'll be able to just resume 
everything he had shown before from a from a skill standpoint, from a agility standpoint, like all those all that playmaking that he did demonstrably do. I mean, he's put it on film. He did it consistently on the field last year. He's confident he'll be able to replicate that once he gets the chance. But he's still, even now it comes to the 40, like there's still always something right now that's holding him back. He isn't completely passed. And that's the other way he termed it. Like he wanted to be able to run the 40 here to like finally put a kind of a nail in the coffin of the hamstring thing. Because mm. until he does that, unless he's able to get through all the events and stuff here, like it's the, the hamstring thing is still a like first sentence topic of conversation with him. Like you're there's still reminders of the fact that you weren't healthy at all this year. And until he kind of finally puts all that behind him, I think he, there's going to still be some frustration in, in the way he's looking at this. Um, but also just a guy who, again, just confident in his abilities. I think he's ready to get in the NFL and, and catch some balls. You know, it would not be good. A nail in the hamstring. Probably that would be not. unfortunate. If of all the things, Oh, you recovered, and then you got a nail in your hamstring. I, he's going to be a first-rounder. I don't, I don't think there's any doubt about that. No. And it's one of these things where, to some degree, what he was going to be is what he was going to be. And if he's not the fastest guy in the world, and he's not the biggest guy in the world, but what he is well, is like a really good receiver who's agile and smart and knows how to get open. I don't know that he was going to be combine monster regardless i do think he might do really well in some of the agility drills and that kind of thing but this is not a, i mean but there's all there's receivers who come and run like 413 who can't actually play receiver right, right? or they're right. 5 foot 4 right so he's got a nice package of skills but i i think he's a film guy right. more than a combine guy and i think he also as we talked about before last week on the pod you know he's pushing himself to be an all-around receiver I think there probably are questions at the NFL level about whether he's going to be limited to the slot. And I'm sure there are teams that have a ceiling on where they would take someone who is only a slot receiver, no matter how good they are. Or or unless they, or, or they would have to be superlatively, like just amazingly great in order to get taken very high as just being being limited to the slot. So um, I think when we'll see when he tests on Saturday, if, if some of those things help push him up the board a little bit, like you said, I think it's going to be the head to head comparison with someone like Addison is, is going to be interesting because can he separate from him in people's estimations? I mean, you just you you look at things, right? I just looked at one mock draft that had Jackson Smith and Jigba going 22 to the Chargers. That sounds like a nice place to live like that. I mean, like that. Go play with Keenan Allen and yep. Mike Williams and Justin yep. Herbert. I'm looking at one now, Daniel Jeremiah from the NFL Network, who's good at this. Number 20 to Seattle, right? That's a place they got a bunch of extra picks. They're yep. trying to build something there. Yep. That if, if you're talking more teens and 20s, then okay, now maybe you get to go somewhere where you can help them win right away. So yep. I do think it's, I think it's all going to work out in the end for Jackson Smith and Jigba. But I do, I do think as we file this away into the Ohio State history books, some regrets of how it was handled in the end. No blame, but some regrets. And the idea that he says if he'd played, they would have won the national championship. I put both of those into the Ohio State history book, and I think I agree with both of those. I think it's fair. Okay, time to talk C.J. Stroud. We're going to figure out where he's going to go, but first we'll talk about what he said. We'll do it next on Buckeye Talk. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy 
happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. All right, Doug Lamarie is back with Nathan Baird. You want to be a tech subscriber? We're texting stuff out during the combine. We're, we're going to be here through Saturday, Saturday morning interviews with Luke Whipler, with Paris Johnson Jr., with Dewan Jones quarterback and receiver testing on Saturday, testing Sunday for the offensive linemen and the running backs. Uh, we're both going home Saturday, right? We'll go home after the interviews on Saturday. Maybe uh, you'll I'm watch a little. I'm going to try to stick around and watch CJ and Jackson if I can. Okay. So, um, so, and we'll have a wrap-up podcast on Monday where we will talk about how that quarterback and receiver testing went, and we will talk about what we discussed with Paris Johnson, Dewan Jones, and Luke Whipler, and we'll have their testing and, and how everything looks. We'll have a final, final wrap on the Combine with everybody on the Monday pod. Again, if you didn't catch it, the Friday pod, we talked about Zach Harrison, Cam Brown, and Ronnie Hickman, who were the first three Buckeyes to go through here. But C.J. Stroud, so 8 o'clock on Friday morning, it's Bryce Young at Podium 1, Jackson Smith and Jigba at the podium right down the row. And then following Bryce Young, it's the 820 group, is C.J. Stroud. And this is one of the things, Nathan, where, you know, we're around C.J. Stroud. We know C.J. Stroud's deal. We have, a, I think, a good handle on the type of player. And I do think the type of person that he is. And I thought he got up there, and I thought he was sort of his typical C.J. self. He was humble. He was uh, thoughtful. But I also thought he brought it a little bit. And I thought he stated his case and I thought he was honest about some of the things he could have done better. And it was interesting. We're going to get to the Colts here in a second. But there was a, a writer on Twitter, who I think is a Colts writer, who said, like, I thought C.J. Stroud at the podium was one of the more impressive quarterbacks I've seen at the Combine in recent years. He discussed both his, his strengths and the things he can get better at, and he really had a good handle on things. And, and my initial reaction, that was sort of like, well, I don't know. He just seemed like C.J. to me. Right. But you cover a guy for two years. You're around him a lot. Yeah. You see him come in after games. You see him in the middle of the week. And you hear him thoughtfully discuss football. And I don't know if you take it for granted, but, like, he got up there and thoughtfully discussed football. And it's always interesting to me. I, I like this part of it. The combine, I don't know. I'm a little out. I'm not out on the combine, but sometimes it's like, I get it. Five days, I don't know. No, I'm not complaining, bosses. I'm just saying. It's a long time. And it's kind of a weird setup. And then sometimes I feel like, man, I feel like I should go be, I should go talk to that Idaho State tight end because what if he has interesting, something interesting to say? And then I think to myself, why? And then I don't. Then I feel bad. And the Browns draft him in the seventh round. Right, right exactly. And then I wrote a story about Tom Brady and like 17 people read it. And I was like, oh, for a Tom Brady story, I thought it was okay. Anyway. So, um, I just thought like it was CJ being CJ, but I like the rest of the world getting their initial exposure to the guys that we have been around every day for two years. So CJ Stroud, nothing new that CJ Stroud's going to say to us, but I, I really felt it with Dwayne Haskins in 2018. I wanted the world to get to know Dwayne, and I really wrote about that, that Dwayne 
was in his moment, right? He's only a one-year starter. This is a kid who's dreaming to come to Ohio State, the late, great Dwayne Haskins. And he had a moment here at the Combine. And I thought, like, I really felt that, and I felt good for Dwayne to just have that moment at the Combine. Joe Burrow, I can remember being here with Joe Burrow and standing right there with Joe Burrow. And Joe Burrow is just, like, kind of being this Joe Cool guy that, like, you know, you kind of saw at Ohio State. Then you got the LSU, and it's like, hey, he's announcing himself to the NFL right now. I like the guys that we know that are you, – you guys on Buckeye Talk, you know C.J. Stroud by now. But these NFL people don't, Nathan, and I'm always intrigued – that initial exposure, and I think his thoughtfulness, his intelligence, and then his forthrightness with the way he talked about his strengths and weaknesses, I think caught people's eyes. We'll get into that a second in, in a second, but I thought CJ did a good job being CJ, but a little bit of a turbocharged CJ on Friday. Yeah, and I think some of it is a little bit like with Jackson, where he's he is kind of making his case for himself and in standing up for himself and why he thinks he should go. Uh, number one overall, like he, it's it's interesting to describe him as humble, which I think is is accurate. At the same time, he just said, "I thought I was the best player in college football the last two years." That was like literally a sentence that came out of his mouth. Like if they'd only beaten Michigan, he'd have two Heisman trophies right now, and he's he might not be wrong. Like when you go back and look at the the trajectory that was leading into those games. So, but I think it, I you're right that I think people today, like if, if people who've watched every C.J. Stroud press conference over the last few years, and I'm including our listeners in that. Like, you know, you start off with, um, you know, thanking God. That's something he does right off the top every time. And and a, a lot of talk, you know, he's he's complimentary of the right people. He is self-deprecating at times. He is borders on being unfiltered at times, the way he talks about things. Um, I think he was asked about Justin Fields and said something along the lines of, he ain't no damn running back, <laughs> which I thought was one of the better sound bites oh of the draft. <laughs> so <laughs> good. <laughs> so, like, you got some of that, like, vintage, um, off the cuff CJ, which I thought was good. But I think you're right. I, th- I, 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 people care about that. People care about how a quarterback gets up there and talk, talks the way that they don't necessarily care about other positions. Not to not to channel Deion Sanders here a little bit, but like if there's a defensive tackle who gets up there and is is kind of a grunter, people kind of are like, well, okay, so so what? Um, Tommy Eichenberg might be a podium here next year, and I don't think people are going to be expecting him to go up there and do Shakespearean sonnets off the top of his head. But with with a quarterback, there has to be communication, and CJ's style of communication is, I think, unique. Uh, at times, but I, it's it's also genuine, and it's also uh, a lot of it, it, like football intelligence that comes through when he gets in front of a microphone. So, I had a project in high school where you're supposed to do a thing with a Shakespearean sonnet, and it's one of these things that like teachers do stuff to you, and you're like, ah, I have to do this stupid project. But if they do it the right way, it's like a thing you never forget. And so, for some reason, uh, a couple friends and I did a Shakespearean sonnet as a country music song. And I still remember it to this day because we did it that way. So I'll just sing you a little bit. I don't remember the whole thing, but I do oh remember. Oh, my God. You're good. Shall I compare thee to a summer's day? Thou art more lovely and more temperate. Rough winds do shake the darling buds of May. And summer's life doth have too short a date. Sometimes it's like, how would I remember that if it wasn't a country music song? So if Tommy Eichenberg, if Tommy Eichenberg, see, no, 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 see, I mean, I, that's that's what you do when you podcast. You sing country music songs. So, yeah. so if Tommy Eichenberg needs a year from now to recite Shakespeare at the combine, I would say sing it as a country song. I am uh, so my long delayed 
profile of Keenan Bailey will be on our site Monday morning. And in that, he talks about he has this little office that uh, used to. He's moved out of it. He's moved into Kevin Wilson's old office now. But he used to have this little office called The Cave that was like a windowless closet, basically, an old ticketing office. And he said, um, somebody had told me that he would listen to Bob Marley in there. And I asked him about that. And he said, yeah, it was like it was Bob Marley and Christmas music. And I was like, what? What are you talking about? Like, you could just you could walk by the office and you'd be listening to Christmas music in August. And he's like, well, because if I wanted to listen to, like, George Strait or country then i'd start singing along and i would get distracted i wouldn't be doing my work but if you just have country music or bob marley on in the background um it's it's just kind of good background music and and you can still concentrate and i think that you probably just disproved that he could listen to country music and and, uh not get distracted sorry keenan if you're listening uh so go read nathan's story on monday about keenan bailey he talked to a million people so i i thought i thought cj um that does matter. Face of the franchise does matter. And I can remember when we did this when the Bear, when the Browns had the number one pick and we were here at the Combine and we very much attacked the quarterbacks that year at the Combine as Cleveland.com as a face of the franchise conversation. We weren't saying like who throws in a tighter window and who's more mobile. We were looking at Baker Mayfield and Lamar Jackson and Josh Allen and Josh Rosen and Sam Darnold and we were having a face of the franchise conversation because when you were the Cleveland Browns at that point in 2018 – that's what you were drafting. That's what you had to get. Yes, he had to be a good player, but you were getting a, the embodiment of what your franchise would be. So there is obviously a part of that for somebody like C.J. Stroud. And I think he he checked a lot of boxes there. Now, I also have a particular view, potentially, on C.J. Stroud when it comes to fit and maximizing his chances of success in the NFL. But I want to touch on three things that he said first before we start to try to place him for in a team. One is the thing that you just uh, talked about right here off the bat, which is he said, I believe I was the best player in college football the last two years, and I think I would have won two Heismans if we had beaten Michigan those two years. He is probably the 50th player that in my time coming to the Combine I've heard say, I think I'm the best player in college football. <laughs> I think it is something the agents tell them to say. Yeah. And it is a it's so interesting to see the transformation of when you're a team player and you're in college and the coach is in charge, like, guys, don't say that. You're not supposed to say that. And now you're here at your job interview and you're supposed to be confident. And it's, you know, one of those things you can't just say, my my biggest weakness is that I care too much, right? You Like, you're also going right. to pump yourself up a little bit. So they are, they are told to do that. So I noted that. But what I, I really noted was CJ saying, basically, he thinks he would have won two Heismans if they had beaten Michigan. Because that is the kind of thing that we talk about on this podcast a lot. Yeah. Like, you just look at the positioning. You look at where he was and before the loss and the way people were talking and the narrative and all those things. And I don't know that almost factually that you can disagree with that, Nathan, the way those two seasons were playing out for him. He was the betting favorite, I think, both years as of the 11th game, after the 11th game, I think. Um, I, I know he was this year, and I'm pretty sure he was last year after the Michigan State, because people remember, he just absolutely undid Michigan State. that It was like 32 or 35 for 400 and whatever yards and six touchdowns. Just an insane performance. And now... Revisionist history, if you if he had won beaten Michigan and had won the Heisman Trophy in twenty twenty one, does it make it less likely that he's in position to win it the next year because people scrutinize you in a different way? There's that discussion to happen too. But it, it's individually in both of those years, you would look at it and say, if you win that game and then 
now you're in the Big Ten Championship game. You're going to win that. But even if you don't win that, as we saw this past year, maybe because there were no other great candidates, but Caleb Williams and, and Max Duggan could both play on conference championship weekend and lose and still finish ahead of C.J. Stroud in the Heisman voting because he wasn't playing that weekend. So let's break it out. We're a two-hour podcast. We were, we were like sitting in the podcast room the other day, or someone said to me, like, Doug, what do you think is a – the right length for a podcast. And I was like, I am not the person you want to ask this question. I was, uh, I was trying to get a, a, a beer with a friend last night and he said, we we're just exchanging times. He's like, I've got a podcast at five, so I can, I'm, I'm free from five thirty on. <laughs> like, You're like, we're not even at the first break <laughs> at five thirty. Hey, Doug hasn't stopped talking from the intro at five thirty. I just, I can't, I feel like if you do a 25 minute podcast, you either only do one topic Mm-hmm. Or you do a bunch of topics on a surface level, and you don't get in-depth at all. Right. And I don't want to do either of those things. I want to do multiple topics and dive into all of them, so I'm not going to apologize for long podcasts. Okay. Winning the Heisman two years ago. He's the betting favorite after the Michigan State game. Here's what's on what unfolds. Ohio State loses to Michigan. He puts up big numbers. But on that same, that same weekend, Bryce Young, like, magically saves Alabama against Auburn yeah. in Four overtimes. Nine overtimes by himself. Right. It's like he was playing for Middle Tennessee State against Auburn. He, by himself, he saves them. So if CJ and Ohio State had beaten Michigan, that would have been a great win. But Bryce, with the magic, would have closed the gap some. And then on championship game weekend, which CJ would have been a part of, playing Iowa in the Big Ten championship game, Bryce Young goes out and knocks off the undefeated number one team in the country that's the best defense that we've seen in ten years. But CJ would have had a chance to do that against Iowa, which, again, also has a very good defensive reputation. It's not Georgia. So I think he – yes, he was the betting favorite after week 11. When he lost to Michigan and did not get to play on championship weekend and Bryce Young went crazy, he was out. Right. I think that comes down to a we go to New York and we do not know who is going to win if you give CJ a win against Michigan and a – good performance in a win against Iowa. And I think as much as there already was a C.J. and Bryce narrative because they knew each other, grew up, friends, all that stuff, it would have been uh, hypercharged in New York that year. And I I think you might be right that that Young, because of the nature of those wins and who they were coming against, might have still surpassed him. But I don't think C.J. would have finished fourth. I think it would have been first or second. Because Aiden Hutchinson wouldn't have been there. Correct. Aiden Aiden took the Big Ten spot. Aiden took C.J.'s spot. Well, I mean, I, CJ was still there too, but he took a lot of the votes. Right. I, I do think that it might have been one of the closest Heisman races in history, and it would have come down. We would have had a week of SEC bias. I'm not, you know, and, and Big Ten of oh, the competition or whatever. Like, uh, you know, there would have been a lot of discussion, d- direct comparisons between Bryce and CJ. But as we sit here and we're going to get into it, it's like Bryce doesn't run either. Bryce moves around. Bryce doesn't run. CJ doesn't run. They both have poise in the pocket. They both are throwing quarterbacks. Maybe Bryce has a little more maneuverability behind the line of scrimmage and, and will get out of trouble maybe a little bit more than CJ. CJ is also like five inches taller. But uh, it would have been a great Heisman discussion. I think they both would have been worthy winners as guys who were quarterbacks, leaders of two, maybe the two major programs in college football in the last 20 years that both would have won their conference championships and both would have been in the playoff. Right. That's so it. they've been playing them each other eventually. Yeah, yeah. And like that's what that's what the Heisman winner is supposed to be. You're right. supposed to be the quarterback for a playoff team. 
That's how this usually works. So I don't think we can definitively say that that would have happened. This past year, in a world where we were desperately yeah. searching for a Heisman person, and again, on the College Football Survivor Show in December, I did the best Heisman candidates of the playoff era, and Caleb Williams wasn't in the top 10. This is not a shot at Caleb Williams, but when you have a quarterback who does not make the playoff, his team loses championship game weekend, that is not a typical resume. Because usually you have to win on championship game weekend to win the Heisman. That's just the history of it. And so we just didn't have options there. Max Duggan finished second. He didn't win on championship game weekend either. Right? This is the, this is the world that we were living in. And if you put CJ Stroud, winner over Michigan, winner over Purdue in the Big Ten championship game, I, it's not even about CJ Stroud. It's about quarterback X of a winning conference right. champion who's going to be in the playoff. Because it wasn't going to, at that point, it just was not going to be Stetson Bennett. That's just the way it was going to be. It was not going to be Stetson Bennett. And when you compare what that CJ Heisman resume would have been compared to Caleb Williams or Max Duggan, from, not from a statistical standpoint, not even from a talent standpoint, but from a who you are and what your team has done, I think that's more of a slam dunk. Oh, yeah. And I think you also then get some of those career achievement points, too, especially relative to the field that was there this year. And especially if. He had also beat Michigan in 2021. Now you're talking about a guy, well, he finished second, he finished whatever to Bryce Young in 2021, but now he's come back this year. He's had just as good or better of a season, and now they've won that game again. Now they're in the playoff again. Nobody else in that field can boast all of those career accolades. And in a year where there wasn't a like slam dunk candidate, I think he might have been the slam dunk candidate. So let's go to our fact check, our Buckeye Talk fact check. We're debuting that here today. C.J. Stroud says if they had beaten Michigan, he would have two Heisman trophies. Ding! We'll accept that as true. Mostly true. That's on the mostly needle. Yeah. That's a needle. It still gets a ding. On the needle, mostly true. Second thing I want to talk about that C.J. Stroud said. He said it was a very difficult decision, and he really thought about staying at Ohio State. He talked about the trust building you do as a player. He talked about the camaraderie, the work that you put in, and he said you don't just want to throw that in the trash. And he said, I, I don't feel like I did that. I made the best decision for me, but he really thought about it. And then I walked with him a little bit. He said that at the podium, kind of unprompted. And then I walked with him a little bit and like was like trying to get like, like you're really? Because he did not declare until the final day you could declare on January 16th, I believe it was. And we sort of were like, huh, I want. And he really, I believe him. Because how could you? This is one of these things that's like, oh, how can you believe that he is like, well, He's the only person doing the consideration. Did he really think about it? I don't know. Are you in his brain? Right. All you can do is go by what he said. And he just said, I was just talking to him. He said, like, you know me, right? He's like, you know me. And, like, that just means, like, he's the kind of guy who would think about it. And that's not a shot against the kind of person who would not think about it. I wouldn't think about it. It's like, I got to go. I really think he considered staying as much as anybody who is basically an assured top 10 pick, a very probable top five pick, maybe a top two pick. You know, we've talked about the comparisons were Justin Herbert and Andrew Luck as guys in similar positions who actually did stay. Listen, CJ just come, you know, he, he's talked about it. His, his dad's in prison. You know, he's, he's overcome some things in his life. And, and I talked about that with him. Like, you, what you're talking about, like, multi-generational wealth here, what you have a chance to do for yourself and your family. And, yes, with NIL, that you can get some of that now. But 
you know, if you if you don't come, if you come from tough circumstances, man, like how can you put that at risk, yeah. right? How can you even 1% put that at risk that an injury would happen or something else would happen and all of a sudden that wouldn't be there for you anymore? And yes, you can take out insurance policies, but it's just, it's not the same thing. I really do believe him that he thought about it. And I think I would almost go so far as to say, just with what he said at the podium and then when we talked afterward, I would almost go so far as to say he wishes he could have stayed. And it just is beyond the realm of possibility with circumstance. But he thought about it as much as any guy in that spot could think about it. And factoring into that is relationships and what you want. But also, didn't beat Michigan as a starting quarterback, didn't win a national championship, didn't win a Heisman, which he mentioned at the podium. So there are achievements there that you would want to come back to chase. But I also will advise on that, the 2008 seniors for Ohio State who all came back, lost consecutive national title games, and came back to chase something. James Laurinaitis, Malcolm Jenkins, Alex Boone, Marcus Freeman, Brian Robiskian. What even happened to Marcus Freeman? I mean, you come back to Ohio. I mean, so you do something like that. By week three, they were out of the national title race. So when you come, if you stay or come back, right? There was a reporter who I used to work with who was always like, they're not coming back. They're staying. So I say stay. It's like, come back. What do you mean? You're here. What are you coming back to? You're staying. When you stay, you can't stay only to chase goals that you have not yet achieved. Because it is possible that those goals are going to be gone fast. Right. So there has to be something else. Your heart has to be – your heart, your gut, your mind. Your, you got to be where your feet are. Your whole body has to be there. Or all of a sudden it's going to be mid-September. You're not getting paid. And you're going to be like, what have I done? Right. Yeah. So I'm just trying to say I believe CJ really thought hard about it and the circumstances. In the end, he could not overcome them. Listen, all those things that he wants to chase, it's – it's there's – you, it, it's one or nothing. You either beat Michigan or you don't. You either win the national championship game or you don't. You either are the Heisman Trophy winner or you don't. And especially the the career he had. I mean, you can be great and not do those things. And the only the, the evidence that he has of that are his previous two seasons. He did. He was great in so many ways in both of those seasons and didn't accomplish those things. And I think it's tough. I'm saying I think it's tough because I don't know if people don't know this, but I was not a quarterback in the Big Ten or a Heisman Trophy contender. Come on. It was, you know, I don't like to talk about it. It's, it's mostly political. Wait, you're not Kyle Orton? <laughs> you're the Purdue guy. Wait, you hoodwinked us. I'm not even Curtis Painter. Oh, that's the guy. I still have Curtis Painter Heisman swag in my basement crawl space. <laughs> I also have Dan Persa Heisman are you, swag. Are you waiting my for him basement. to become like a serial killer so it's worth something? I don't on know. EBay? I probably should just send it back to him. He'd be like, what? What did Purdue send out for me? I don't know what it was. It might have been a paint can. Maybe a paint brush. Dan Persa, they sent weights. They sent weights. It's one of those things. Northwestern paid money to ship like 10-pound weights my, to uh, voters' houses. My favorite one, I should know the name. It's, it's on the tip of my tongue. Um, this has only been a few years ago. I got some little, like bobblehead or statue of the the player from Texas Tech who was on like a little horse, the defensive oh, player, yeah. right? On it's, the it's horse, escaping my, yeah. escaping my, uh, my was it right Joe now. Horse? Was that his name? No, no. no. okay, sorry. Um, but I thought that was a fun little little doll. I don't remember what we were talking about. Oh, it was CJ. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't doubt that. I mean, the, the exact quote that he gave you was, "You know me." I'm not that type of person. I'm not all in it for the money. And to me, that says, 
I don't think about money first. Correct. Because, and so then that's where all that emotion is there. You're like thinking, well, like the money, whatever the money, I'll get the money later, but I can get all these other things. They're right there in front of me. Like I, that's what I started to say when I said the, the started joking about my lack of athletic talent, um, that he was adjacent to all those things. It was right there for him. Like he was, the, the Heisman trophy was within his reach. He could have been a Heisman trophy winner. He was one point away from beating Georgia and they would have, or two points and would have won the national championship. Like he could taste all of those things. He was that close to it. So like, why wouldn't you come back and take one shot? Cause you're that close. It's not like you're, it's not like you're years away. It's not like you're going eight and four and thinking like, no, I'm going to come back and try to win a national championship when it seems so far away. Like you weren't even a Heisman finalist or in the top 10 of the voting. Like he's right there every time. But so that's why I think all that's first in his mind. But then eventually somebody says, no, like you got to think about the money yeah. here. You've got to think about because let's go back to the what you were talking about earlier with uh, Jalen Smith. Yeah, that's the other option yes. here. Like you can it's even if you even if Ohio State stays in national championship contention, what if you tear an ACL three weeks into the year? And now you, what if you're dealing with what Jackson Smith and Jigba was dealing with? And now it's three weeks before the combine and you're still not what you would consider 100 percent like those things have to be in your mind, too. Like you, you, you have to be realistic about the tra- the trajectory you're on and i don't think anyone should look at uh, i don't think anyone does only cj i think was thinking about well if i don't come back for another year i'm leaving something on the table i'm i'm not fulfilling something i think everyone else should be semi-realistic about you went out and had two great seasons only one team gets to win that game only one team person gets to win the heisman trophy only one team gets to win a national championship it is a really uh tough needle to thread it's a t- it's a it's a tough target to hit and it's just such a different world when you're going to be drafted as high as cj is going to be drafted right if he goes exactly. in, if he goes in the top five it's going to be between like a 33 and 40 million dollar contract it's going to be between like a 22 and 26 million dollar signing bonus you know the guy i think that comes up a lot is mike doss who I, you know i wasn't covering ohio state at that time but i think as the story goes or i've heard people tell it is like he was at his announcement news conference and like was walking to the podium and wasn't sure what he was going to say, whether he was going to stay or go, and he stays and they win the national championship. And it's like, okay, well, that was pretty cool. Yeah. Great decision for Mike Doss. He went on, he was a second-round pick, pick number 58 in the NFL draft, and after he wins the national championship. It's just a different conversation. Yeah. This is, this is not about, oh, might I sneak into the back of the first round. This is like you're a quarterback who's looking to be a franchise quarterback and maybe a top-five pick. I think the better Ohio State example of recent vintage would be Chris Olave, who we thought was – probably going to leave after uh, 2020 and decided to come back and, and play 2021 as well. And uh, that caught people by surprise just because I think there were already assumptions about, well, you're probably a first round pick, uh, but it worked out well for him. I think to come back that last year, he's obviously gotten off to a great start in the NFL still was a top 12, uh, 15 pick, whatever he was. Uh, so that was a surprising pick. But again, I think he had less to lose. Yeah, so I just I think it's interesting to hear somebody talk about that. And CJ, I think I just believe CJ. Like it's one of those things. Like I, I've said it before. I think he's just a real dude, and I just don't know that like he would be capable of putting on airs about that. I don't. You know? Yeah, why he doesn't seem like a Machiavellian type. No, like oh, I'm gonna make people think that like oh, I almost stayed at Ohio State, so they think like I really love Columbus. And it's like well, yeah, people have everything. I don't know. Look, I believe him. I believe that he like struggled with it. And again, even that struggle, even if it would have been nearly impossible, I, I think he struggled with it as much as anybody in that spot could struggle. Okay, so two Heisman's best player in the country thought about 
Sting. The last thing I want to talk about is this idea that he said he regrets mm. that he didn't run more at Ohio State, which again goes back to I don't want to reduce C.J. Stroud's life to a podcast conversation, but it's like, we talk about that all the time. It's like, hey, C.J., were you listening to the podcast? It's like, no, I was living my life. You realize your podcast is about my life. So then when I talk about my life, I'm talking about my life. I'm not talking about your podcast discussion of my life, Doug. That'd be funny if he said that. He'd be like, I could see him. That's like inside, inside, inside. So the thing of it is, is I, so this is, I find this interesting. I'm going to try to write about this. When I talked with CJ in November, we played a lot of those cuts in the CJ Stroud Legacy podcast. And it really was about the idea that he thought a lot of the things he did well, did best as a quarterback, fit the NFL almost better than college. Because in college, quarterbacks sometimes do just run more, right? That even though we're seeing a lot more running quarterbacks in the NFL now because the NFL catches up to college. But in terms of like tight window throws and processing and solving problems before they happen. He used that phrase on the podium. That is a that yep. is a yep. that is a conversation that we had a forty minute conversation about solving problems before they happen. He talked about that briefly at the podium Friday, but he talked much more about running. And I think, and we're going to get to this, I think it is sort of he's trying to check maybe the only unchecked box that he right. has, right. which is that question. Are you just a pocket passer? Can you not get out and make plays? And he's saying, hey, I wish I would have run more in college. He used the word regret. And he said, you saw what I could do against Georgia, but go back and watch my film. I also did it in other games. It wasn't the only time I used my athleticism. And again, it's not just about running. It's about using athleticism. We can point. We talked about this a lot. The third down throw to Mayan Williams on the sideline against Notre Dame. That's off-platform, out-of-pocket make or break, do or die throw. If they don't get a long completion there to pick up a first down, they're punting the ball back to Notre Dame in the fourth quarter. That's a that's an athletic play. It wasn't a run, but he got he moved and slid and made a throw outside the pocket. So he's saying, hey, it's not just Georgia, go watch it. But if you don't think I can do it, well, I guess I'll just have to do it in the NFL and prove to you. I think it is strategic by CJ and the people around him to make that point because he said, I think the way he was asked the question is like, what are you telling teams? And he said, I'm telling them what I'll tell y'all. And then he said that, right? <laughs> yeah. I'm telling you the same thing, which is, I regret not doing it more. I can do it. I promise you that I can do it. So I'm intrigued. I think that this is the most, as what you're saying, is nothing else. Is, it's not Machiavellian of why he's saying this other stuff. I think this is the closest to that. Yeah. I think there's a very strategic point he's trying to make here. But from an Ohio State perspective, what do you think about the idea of him saying he regrets not running more at Ohio State? Well, let me ask you a question. Do you think Ryan Day regrets him not running more? So it is an interesting thing because now this automatically leads us into, like, did Ryan Day tell him not to run? And I sometimes was under more of the impression of, like, Ryan Day was not against, like, fighting off stuff and moving around and right. staying alive. You know, a lot of the Justin conversation was, like, get rid of it if it's not there, right? Right. I didn't feel like that necessarily was a CJ conversation. And, again, as we have talked about, when he had the play where he escaped the pocket, broke the sack, and threw the touchdown against Marvin Har to Marvin Harrison Jr. in the back of the end zone against Georgia, which is an extremely athletic out-of-pocket play, Ryan Day's body, over he had a, he had a conniption. Because he loved it so much. So again, this is there's running, then there's throwing, there's running to throw, whatever. But I don't know. Well, I I do think I don't I don't think it's as cut and dried as Ryan said. Don't run, right. so I didn't run. Here's what I think. 
So right now there are two nitpicks about C.J. Stroud as a, as a draft prospect. And, and I say nitpicks because they're not necessarily big criticisms of him because he is going to go at the top of this draft. But it's uh, maybe he needed to run more. Maybe he isn't enough of a playmaker with his feet. That's one. The other one is he played with such talented receivers that you can't trust his all of his passing accolades and, and stats and stuff that his guys were just so open that um, it was easy to throw to him. Well, you can't make both of those arguments at the same time. Because that means you're actually saying his receivers were always constantly open, but he should have been just running the ball more. <laughs> and I think he made that point today, too, that if you if your guys are open and you don't throw it to them, they come back to you and look at you funny. In the I can't remember the exact quote, but it was it was one of his other funnier quotes today about, like, what do you expect me to do? Like, it's, it's those guys are open. I'm going to throw to him. And he also was making the point that, he yes, he thinks it's on film that he's done these things, but also go watch the film. I throw guys open. So which would Ohio State rather have had him do? Throw a guy open or run for eight yards? Throw a guy open downfield? Like that's They're obviously going to take that every time, right? Yeah. And I think one thing that maybe is happening here, too, is I don't know how prepared he was for the, the nitpicking, and that's what, what some of this is, that when, when you talk about parsing like the, the top four guys in a draft at the quarterback position, and they're supposed to be franchise guys, and their people are making this investment in it. People are going to nitpick that to a to a really great degree. And I, I, the other thing is, I, I was having a conversation with someone recently for something I was writing. It might have been might have been for the Kyle McCord story that I wrote recently, that where somebody said, "Well, there's an old scouting adage that if they can do it once, they can do it again. Like if you see it on film once, they should be able to replicate that if they if they actually do it." And I think maybe CJ thinks that that should be true here. But what I'm hearing, I was talking to some Colts writers as I was walking in today, some guys that I knew from my time here in the, the, the great state of Indiana. And that kind of the question that they have is like, well, why, why is that the first time? Like, why did he pull that out? Which I guess the answer to that would be like, well, if you're going to pull it out, isn't that the game where you would pull it out? Like, maybe there's even a strategic advantage to it. I don't know. But I think that question is still lingering out there for people. But like, just because he did it once doesn't mean – he can replicate it doesn't mean that actually is part of his game that there might have been special circumstances but i think what cj is saying is in his belief if you go back and look at the film you'll you'll see more instances of it than just the georgia game yeah and it's one of those things like we had you know when we had the pff guy on the beginning of the week it's like i don't know how often did matt ryan do that right and and when just talking right. again we were chatting with dane brugler he's used the jared goff comparison which which he said at times ohio state fans have been like oh jared Goff," and it's like i don't know you mean jared goff who was the number one pick in the right. draft and reached the Super Bowl? Like, how dare you compare somebody to him? Yeah. I'm, I'm sure if you went to C.J. Stroud and said, like, hey, we think you're the next Matt Ryan, I don't know how he would react to that because that's not the kind of quarterback that he talks about at the podium. He talks about Mike Vick. He talks about Deshaun Watson. He talks about, well, Joe Burrow. Uh, but even Joe Burrow, I think, has a little bit more wiggle to him than, than Matt Ryan did. But I think if, if you were to step back and look at it, which, which, I mean, Matt Ryan's been a fantastic quarterback in the NFL for a long time. He's like in the top 10 all time in the NFL in a lot of yardage. He should have won a Super Bowl and he won an MVP. If that's your future, I think you should be pretty happy with it. Yeah, he won an MVP. He's going to be in the Hall of Fame. And it's like, oh, what, what, playing the league for 18 years? (laughs) So, throw um, for a billion yards. I think the thing that CJ wants to do, and this is the strategic part of it, and again, I'm not saying it's not true, he wants to erase the questions enough to get drafted as high as possible. Like, this should not hold you back from drafting me. Once I get there, 
we can have a conversation about how much do you really want me to run? Because I, I can do it, but I, I have not changed my mind on what I've always said, which is he's more dangerous behind the line of scrimmage than when he passes it. Yeah. And so, and I do think there was almost like a reverse psychology thing of he ran so little that by the end of the year, like against Georgia, it maybe opened up some lanes because they weren't worried about it. But as soon as you start playing him to run a little bit, I just don't know that he's going to be great at it. I don't think he's non-athletic. I don't think he's a statue. But I think if you are go too far down the road of why doesn't he do that, it's, it's pointless. You're going to reach a point where you're asking someone to be something they're not. But I understand why he's doing it because we're going to do this now. How he fits into this draft class, I do think that's his one box. And I think he might have fewer boxes or the smallest box or something like he has the least questions, I think, potentially than the other guys here. So let's talk about that next on Buckeye Talk. All right, so we're going to try to figure out where C.J. Stroud fits into this quarterback class and fits into this draft. But one of the things is it has not happened yet. It's going to happen tomorrow with the quarterbacks, the measurements, right? Correct. So how tall Bryce Young is is going to be a big deal and how much Bryce Young weighs is going to be a big deal. He said he's like 200 or so, and there are, I think, some smart people writing some things that it's not really about his height. It's about his size in general. It's the right. package of it. Right. And that you just have to be physical enough to hold up as a quarterback. That is, a, that is the question about Bryce Young. He also doesn't run. His rushing stats are as low as CJ's. That's the question about him. Then there's Anthony Richardson from Florida and Will Levis from Kentucky, who are the other guys in this top four of quarterbacks, and they are just – more athletic, bigger guys, but I think not viewed as necessarily the same type of passers as Bryce Young and C.J. Stroud. So if the other two guys are better athletes than C.J., but maybe not the passer, and Bryce is similar to C.J. in some ways, maybe more elusive in the pocket, but C.J. is going to be like six inches taller than him and 40 or 50 pounds heavier, I think that puts C.J. Stroud in a position to have the least questions. He's big enough. He certainly can throw it. He's face of the franchise. He's smart. And then the question becomes his athleticism slash running ability. But I think, but he, I think he can do more about his thing because nobody can say to Bryce Young, Bryce, you just looked taller against Kansas State in the Sugar Bowl. What was it that you really <laughs> did in that game to be heavier? You know, I guess you can make yourself heavier. Oh, you can make Buck yourself heavier. <laughs> I've been trying to hear the last few days. So, and then I don't know that Anthony Richardson, and I think Anthony Richardson's a really good player. I don't want to cast them as like only running quarterbacks because they both can certainly throw it as well. But they're just, I think, it's not the same type of thing that you talk about with C.J. Stroud. So I do think C.J. in some ways might be the safest pick of this group, depending how great your size concerns are with Bryce Young. If it's nothing to you, then Bryce Young's a great player. If it's anything to you, then C.J. Stroud does a lot of similar things at a much, much bigger size. So I think then, so what C.J. is attacking is his only weakness, the athleticism running question. That's his only weakness, and I do think that weakness may be less than the other, I'm saying weakness in quotation marks for amazing college quarterbacks who are going to be top 10 picks. But I think he might have an easier time. Nobody's perfect. He might have an easier time answering his questions than the other three have answering their questions, which could lead to a very interesting discussion at the top of this draft. 
I'm always fascinated by the way teams value certain things. And because clearly there are times where teams have this down to as much of a science as it can be, and they do really insightful evaluations, and they come out with really good answers. And then there's other teams that screw this up. And there are teams that screw this up consistently, year after year after year. They botch. Even when they have multiple chances to draft franchise quarterbacks, they botch it. Cleveland Browns. Um, over a long period of time, like it's it's and and I this is a copycat league at times, and you wonder how many teams out there are looking for what Anthony Richardson could be over what C.J. Stroud is. And I'm not even saying that that's necessarily a bad way to look at it. If you think C.J. Stroud has a ceiling that is Jared Goff, but Anthony Richardson has a ceiling that is whoever else that's very dynamic, then maybe that's the shot you take if you're going to take that shot. There's, there's different ways to look at that, I suppose. But I, I, I'm really curious how teams are going to break this down because when we talked to Dar- Daniel Jeremiah on a conference call last week, NFL Network um, draft analyst, and he said that the best way to analyze what teams really think of quarterbacks is to ask the teams that aren't drafting a quarterback. Because they don't have a they don't have a motive to lie to you. All the other ones do. They want their guy to fall. They want the guy they don't want to rise. But the, the, from his canvassing of of NFL scouts and front office people, he said that there are people that have Anthony Richardson as high as QB two in this draft. Uh, so that means that there are people that only have Stroud as high as third, and maybe some have him under Levis. I don't know. So it, there's ones that maybe really uh, overemphasize that playmaking out of the pocket, that sort of ability. and they're, But I'm sure that there are ones that have C.J. Stroud first on their board. I think we've heard just uh, anecdotally that there are ones that might have C.J. Stroud first on their board, and they may be the ones who value that high floor the most. Okay, so let's run through this. I believe that there are seven teams in reasonable contention to draft C.J. Stroud. This does not include somebody making a giant move. The way, for instance, the Rams in 2016 made a giant move for Jared Goff and went from 15 to 1 and gave up a lot to do it. So I have the lowest team on the on a list is the team currently picking 11th, who I think would have to move, but maybe only move a little bit. So number one, Chicago, they're going to trade the pick. They're not going to pick a quarterback. And I thought CJ was funny. Yeah. Someone There's still Chicago people, I get it, sort of asking Bryce Young and CJ Stroud about like, hey, what, wouldn't it be weird to go to Chicago? And CJ basically said... That's Justin's team. Well, he, he, he said, I don't want to go there, which I think people, some people grabbed that and said him, that it was him saying, I don't want to go to Chicago. What I think he was saying was, I don't want to go there speculating on the Bears trading oh. off of Justin. Oh, to no. I draft thought he me. meant, I don't want to go to Justin Fields' team. Well, I think that, but, but he, he doesn't want to go there. He doesn't want to go to the thought of, because the Bears aren't going to draft him and keep Justin. Oh, no, no, no. That's not what I thought. I thought he meant, I don't want to go to Justin's team. I because because it's Justin's team. Yeah, not nothing against Chicago, but I don't think he meant theoretically. I don't want to go there in regards to this topic. I thought he meant. That's how I, I don't, heard it. I don't want to go there to the team where Justin Fields is already the franchise quarterback. Right, and because he said that he did call it his. Because he did say yeah. that's his team. Right. I want to go make my own legacy or my own identity. Right. So no and, shot. And he's at also very fond of Justin Fields. Like yeah, it'd be too weird. And again, it's one of these things where I love. Like the theoretical analytical discussion of what you do, you take two quarterbacks, it increases your chances of hitting on the most important position, and then you get down to like the brass tacks of actually doing it. It's like what? That's stupid. So well, the Bears have a ton of holes that they need that money to fill. They can't be paying two quarterbacks even at rookie 
So he's not going to Chicago. Chicago. So we're going to leave open somebody jumping to one. We understand that. Number two, Houston. Houston's GM did not sound super jacked about the idea of moving up from two. So I am taking that somewhat at face value at the moment, even though the Texans do have pick two and pick 12. They have extra picks in other rounds. It feels like with D'Amico Ryans as their new head coach, they are really building for the long haul. And I don't know that jumping one spot and paying a premium for that is where they would be. I guess if they absolutely fall in love with Bryce Young and they know they're not going to get him because someone else is going to make a trade with the Bears. But I think instead what seems very possible to me is somebody jumps for Bryce Young at one and now all of a sudden the picks, I don't know that the Texans are trading out of two, although again, we can talk about that. And that C.J. Stroud just goes to the Texans. He's the number two quarterback. He's the number two pick. He goes to the number two team. I think we have to keep that in mind. But I also will say that I think with the Texans, it is possible to me that this is a big-time, long-term rebuild with a lot of picks and a defensive head coach they just hired. And that, to me, reads as a team, A, a lot of times defensive head coaches, I think, love athletic quarterbacks because I think those are the toughest guys to defend. You can't game plan for them. And the Texans don't have to worry about who's the best quarterback right now. They have to worry about who's going to be the best quarterback in six years. And I think it's possible that they could talk themselves into the idea that it will be Anthony Richardson. And so I am open to a scenario where somebody jumps for Bryce Young at one and the Texans, I don't know if it would be shock the world by that point, but the Texans roll the dice and don't go highest floor C.J. Stroud. They go maybe in their mind highest ceiling Anthony Richardson out of Florida, and so I am not automatically putting C.J. to Houston at two at this point. I would not automatically put him there either. I think also the other thing I would put on the table is, depending on what their read of where Richardson would fall, they could also trade off of two, help themselves in other capacities, and still draft him later. So let's talk about that. So Arizona's picking at three. They're not going to pick a quarterback. Maybe somebody could jump there, but I think we can move on. I think Indianapolis at four fits C.J. Stroud the best. Shane Steichen, their new head coach, and Chris Ballard, their general manager, I listened to both of, both of them speak, and they both talked about intelligence and accuracy and just what they want in a quarterback, and they've been so unsettled at quarterback since Andrew Luck re- retired, and I think C.J. Stroud is a guy who settles things down. I think he lifts the burden. And I think smart and accurate, like that, we're getting back to like Andrew Luck territory. Last time the Colts really had it, what did it look like? Not that Andrew Luck's not athletic, but what did it look like? I think C.J. Stroud is the best replication of that. I think C.J. Stroud to the Indianapolis Colts makes the most sense. And now we get into how does it happen? Because... The Colts, I also don't know. It's one of those, because you, you laid out this scenario, because I've just been thinking about this since the, the Colts people talked. It's funny because Greg Doyle, who is a really good columnist in Indianapolis, has been trying to read these tea leaves on the owner and everybody in the front office for months, and he keeps reading them as Bryce Young. They're like, what they say, he keeps writing and saying, it sounds like to me like they're talking about Bryce Young, where I hear what they're saying, and I think they're talking about C.J. Stroud. 
But they're at four, and Chris Ballard, the GM, said, like, hey, we, we think maybe we can get the best player in the draft at four. And he's just saying stuff. But, but I don't know... I don't know how much ammo they have, and I don't know that they have to jump to one because I do think they'd be very happy with both. So I think a scenario where somebody jumps to one for Young, the Texans kind of want Anthony Richardson and are willing to trade down to four, thinking they'll still get him, and the Colts move up to two to get Stroud, seems possible to me. But you brought up the idea of would they make an an intra-division yeah, trade I'm where skeptical. the Texans and Colts would help each other out. I think I'm skeptical of that. I think if the Colts, I think if the Colts value CJ Stroud and think he's the best player in this draft, I think they trade up to one and take him. So then that just becomes you are you are making a big investment when it's not impossible that he gets to you at four. I don't think it's a thousand percent impossible that he gets to you at four. Yeah, or you could also um, you might get enticed to at that point trading up from four to three because listen we're going to talk about some other teams you've got several on this list here that i think are very intriguing for cj stroud and who are also i think potentially motivated to trade up so seattle at five with an extra pick at 20 they are up that high because of the russell wilson trade with denver detroit at six with an extra pick at 18 they are up this high because of the los angeles rams trade for matthew stafford i think they both could be great landing spots for C.J. Stroud because something that I have been thinking about and I just think could be good is C.J. Stroud not having to start for a bad team week one. And if you're Detroit and you bring him in and have him sit and learn behind Jared Goff for a year, if you're Seattle and you bring him in and have him sit and learn behind Geno Smith for a year, planning on him being the starting quarterback the next season, I think that could be great situations for C.J. Stroud. I don't know how invested Seattle and Detroit are in taking quarterbacks there. Detroit is further in to a rebuild here. They've taken offensive tackles. They've taken receivers. It probably would not be a bad time for them to use this ammo with 6-18 and 18 to get a quarterback in this draft. Seattle, Geno Smith played great this year unexpectedly. I, before the year, I think quarterback to Seattle made much more sense. I don't know how Geno has changed their plans, but I kind of like them both, Nathan, and I don't know. I think five and six is probably the end of where I think CJ could get to. I don't think he'd get past both of them, but and I don't know if they both would have to jump, but I like the situations. I understand where you're coming from. I think both of those franchises probably have tough calls to make because both of those franchises are right on the cusp of being are already pretty good. That's why they're drafting lower in the first round as well, right? 18, 20, that range. Like, they're in a place where they're already winning right now, and the quarterbacks that they have are not bad. I don't think they're winning in spite of those quarterbacks, if that makes sense. I know that those guys are not uh, blowing it up at a Patrick Mahomes, uh, Josh Allen level, but th- they're good enough to win. So if you're at 5-6 and six and you can get the Will Andersons, the Jalen Carters, although that's obviously a weird situation right now. I've seen the the um, Lions have been. Uh, I think I see a lot of mocks for them taking a corner that high, um, or somebody else, somebody to help them defensively, like somebody you can plug in and be a big time starter right away on your defense or somewhere else on your team and and help a team that's already pretty good. I think that's a tough thing to pass up. But I also think if you truly believe, if you look at this and you're like, C.J. Stroud grades as high as any quarterback we've looked at in the last five years or since Joe Burrow or whatever, 
that may be a tough thing to pass up too when you've got the ammo to trade up. Their own picks, as you said, are 18 and 20. They're at five and six because they made these other trades. They're also in situations where I do think they need long-term quarterback answers and they might not be up this high again for a while. True. So it could be time for them to go now. Vegas at seven, listening to Josh McDaniels, their coach, I don't know why. I feel like they're maybe more interested in the athletic quarterback. I sort of have Levis at seven to the Raiders penciled in. Now, this is Josh McDaniels who built his career with Tom Brady. But it almost sounded more like to me maybe he'd like to do the opposite of that. And let's go the Josh Allen route. I know what it's like to have a super accurate brainiac quarterback. I don't think C.J. gets as low as seven anyway, but that I don't think the Raiders are not a team to me. That They're not a jump for C.J. team. I don't think so either. And you never know what he comes up here and says, like we were saying before, like when you're talking publicly, are you saying what you actually believe or are you well, throwing I know, but like, if we're going to do that, then but, it's like, yeah, I know, why I know, are we I know. talking I, about anything? I, I, my, my shorthand here is that the Raiders are one of those franchises that whatever the wrong decision could be made is, I think the Raiders will make it. So then eight Atlanta, some people, some Atlanta people were sort of asking me, they, did, they took Desmond Ritter in the third round a year ago. I don't think he's incredibly dissimilar from C.J. Stroud. He's, I think he's a good, he's probably a little more athletic and maybe a little less accurate, but like I think in the same range. I don't know. I mean, take a guy in the third. I liked Ritter a year ago. I thought he could go in the first round. Um, they released Marcus Mariota. They're, they're ready to go to a young quarterback. I just, I don't have Atlanta on the board as a huge mover here. Next at nine, Carolina is though. Frank Reich is the new quarterback. He's a quarterback's guy. He just lived through QB heck in Indy, which led to his firing in Indianapolis. Carolina got rid of Matt Rule. They've, you know, they tried Baker Mayfield. That didn't work. Um, it just, they, it, they have Matt Corral, but like, I don't think that's going to be it. Like, I think they're ready for this. And they, their starting quarterback for 2023 is not yet on their roster. And they're either going to acquire a veteran, and Frank Reich talked about this, or they're going to draft a quarterback. So they've had Derek Carr in for a visit. Derek Carr is the veteran quarterback du jour. He's talked to the Jets. He's talked to the Panthers. Someone's going to get him. Um, and they're open to that. But Frank Reich said, ideally, you know, you'd rather draft a guy and build with a guy. Frank Reich, as a quarterback guy, as a head coach, I think there's a lot about Carolina that could make sense. They're going to have to jump from nine to do it. But I do think they would be a team. I don't know that their owner's impatient, but like they just. They fired the coach. They got in a new coach. They've kind of mucked around. You know, they've taken guys other than quarterbacks the last couple of years. I think it's time for them to get a quarterback. Sometimes I think it's good to pair a rookie quarterback and a rookie head coach and you can grow together. I think Carolina is going to be in the market here. I think they're a contender to go to one. At the Bears pick, I think they'd be a contender to get to three in the Arizona pick. And I think there are a lot of things where C.J. Stroud could make sense for Carolina if the maneuvering can make sense. Yeah, I mean, and as you said, I mean, it's a quarterback head coach. I think they've got a pretty decent offensive line there. This is the one I was just asked a Hey Nathan question. Like, what do you think the Bears should do at one that would be the best thing for Justin Fields? And for a long time, I've been thinking, this is even before the Jalen Carter thing happened, because the Bears have been really linked to Carter as the one that maybe they preferred over Anderson as far as the best defensive players in this draft. And for a long time, I thought trading down from one to four was the best thing for the Bears. And I've changed my mind. I think if they could get Carolina to trade all the way up from nine to one, that would be the best thing for the Bears. Because you're getting probably 
you're getting Carolina's nine, you're getting their second rounder, and you're probably getting firsts in 24 and 25 to fall down that far. And you're, you just can't turn down that many first round picks. And what you, if with all the holes the Bears have, and at nine, the Bears could take Paris Johnson or Peter Skronsky. They could take the best receiver if they think he's worth it at number nine. They've got so many options to help themselves and they pick up so many picks for the future to help themselves. Uh, that's what I am as a, as a modest Bears fan at this point in my life. That's what I kind of hope they end up doing. But I think, I think of all the teams in this draft, I'm starting to talk myself into Carolina might be the most likely landing destination either either Indianapolis or Carolina is where I think CJ Stroud will play next year so the last team I think is worth discussing is Tennessee at 11 they've won with Ryan Tannehill and again Ryan Tannehill is a guy that's been brought up as a comparison for CJ Stroud which again I was like Ryan Tannehill it's like he was a top 10 pick and he played in the league for 12 years like it's pretty good uh, Buckeye is the head coach doesn't mean they're going to draft the Buckeye but um, they drafted Malik Willis last year and I think you know he's more of the athletic kind of quarterback not as much the processing, and I think Mike Rabel, it seemed like from afar, was ready to move on from that pretty quickly. I mean, yep. Malik Willis was a project when they drafted him, so that's probably unfair. But I, And I don't know what it would take for them to jump if they would make a move this high, but they're looking for a franchise quarterback. They're looking for a long-term answer, right? After having some pretty darn good success uh, with Ryan Tannehill, I think they would be in the mix as well, but they would have to jump to do it. But I think in the end, I think my three favorite teams, I, I agree I, I agree with what you're saying. Um, I think I like Indy. I think I like Carolina. And then I, I would maybe like a Seattle or Detroit spot who says, listen, we're drafting our long-term starter. Um, I think Carolina and Indy make the most sense the maneuvering just has to make sense. And that's the tough part of this. I do think in the end, like the most logical thing to me, I could see Carolina jumping to one for Young and Indy jumping for t- to two for Stroud if Houston would do it. But if Houston believes that their guy is Richardson, then I don't know, what do they care? Like they're getting extra draft capital, right? I'm not saying that I can't see C.J. Stroud in Houston. I'm just saying I can see Houston making a swing for the upside play and I think Shane Steichen, as as their an offensive coordinator, becoming a head coach in Indy. And again, when when Chris Ballard was talking about this, the GM, he was talking about like, I don't think we're a terrible team. It's like Jonathan Taylor, running back, good running back. Yeah. Quentin Nelson on the offensive line, long term piece. He's talking about their top receivers that they feel like they really believe in. Like they are not. They have just been an absolute mess at quarterback. And they have to get that fixed. And so while I think Houston, with a complete teardown, all these extra picks they have from the Browns, I think Houston is more upside swing. I think Indianapolis is more, just give us a competent professional, and a lot of this other stuff will fall into place. And by the way, C.J. Stroud still has an upside. So I I think if I were going to go right now, I would pick, I think, someone like Carolina jump into one for Young. And then Anthony Richardson winding up in Houston and C.J. Stroud winding up in Indianapolis. However, that would happen. And I'll give Will Levis to the Raiders at seven. And I think we agree on, you said the thing about Indy and the high floor of C.J. Man. Plus, everybody from Columbus could just drive over three hours. Like, I just, it feels like a very comfortable pick if they can figure out a way to make it work. Yeah, I think what just remains to be seen is how many teams that are on this list will value Stroud over Young. Like, how many of them will rate Stroud over Young? And then they have to play the guessing game of, will he fall to us or do we have to go get him? 
I think anything in play. I, I think the number one overall pick is still in play for C.J. Stroud. If that happens, if somebody, if Carolina assesses this, and Frank Reich, the quarterback, kind of a quarterback guru in his own right, says this is who I think should be. I mean, this is the guy. This is the guy that can be our franchise quarterback for a decade, and we can win in the playoffs with this guy. Then I think they trade up and take him at number one. Or do you? Or do you? Now you get now you get into a thing where we'll, we'll let somebody else trade up to one and take Young. We'll trade up at the Texans and take two take him at two, it's a little less of a price, or you trade up with the Cardinals at three, but the Cardinals probably want one of those top defensive guys. I'm really fascinated by this. I think it's going to be a lot of entry going into draft night. So I think TJ's in, I think TJ's in a good spot. You know, I, I think like even, you know, I, I don't think this factored into it, but, you know, Caleb Williams a year from now, I think is going to check every box, right? And it's possible that Drake May a year from now is going to check every box, and CJ's in a group of guys where he just is a little bit, he's sort of a typical, what you almost would call in the olden days, like a typical NFL pocket passer. But in this group, that makes him rare. Right. Because nobody else at the top is, is really like that to the extent that he is. Bryce Young really is like that. He's just going to measure like 5'10 and like 181 pounds or whatever. And CJ's going to be like 6'3 and a half and 220. And like people are just going to. Mm-hmm. If you love Bryce, and I, I love Bryce Young as a player, but you're going to have to just fortify yourself to make sure that you're 100% good for that if you're taking this guy number one in the draft. So I think CJ's, I think it's going to work out well for him. And I do think, but I do think I would have in mind somebody was, I was talking to somebody about this. They said, like, someone like Jacoby Brissett, right? Maybe it's not Geno Smith or, or Jared Goff. CJ just has been a guy who he does hear the noise. Mm-hmm. And so to go to a terrible team, and lose what the Bears did to Justin Fields as a rookie, getting sacked nine times in his first start against yeah. the Browns. Jaguars and Trevor Lawrence. Is just unfair. Yeah. And I'm not saying that C.J. Stroud couldn't handle that, but I just think maybe their personalities, Justin's a little bit more of a, oh, that stunk, but oh well. And that C.J. would maybe take it a little more to heart, and you just you don't want to got to get down. Right. You don't want to mess a guy up before he has a chance to even do anything. So I think it could be a really good investment depending how bad your team is, to let C.J. Stroud to have a veteran there where maybe he doesn't play the first year, maybe he doesn't play the first 10 games, you know, but it allows him to learn. It helps a, a guy teach him how to do this in the league. And I just think it could, and again, this is not an insult. It's what the Chiefs did with Patrick Mahomes. It is not an insult to say this to a guy, but I just think C.J. is such a real dude, he takes it to heart. He took it to heart when Ohio State lost three times in his career. Right. I think he'll take it to heart if his NFL team starts 1-8 and eight with him as the starting quarterback because they're just not ready to win. You know, it's just the way it works. So fit's going to matter, but I think there are some teams that really could fit him. I know there are some Ohio State fans that are very wary of him ending up with Houston. That if that were, you know, if, if he is the second-best quarterback and Houston decides he's the second-best or best quarterback and take him at two, that that is somehow exiling him to loser island for the rest of his life and i don't know that i believe that i think it means the nfl it's a salary cap league uh as as much as i said before that there are those teams that make repeated bad decisions sometimes i think there's upside there for the texans especially if you get the right quarterback if you believe in cj stroud he's the kind of guy that could maybe turn that around too i think D'Amico ryan's is going to be good so i think that i think that the texans are going to be the new look texans i think they've shaped up their front office a little bit they have all these extra picks from the Browns, from the Deshaun Watson trade, they're going to have extra first-round picks for another couple of years. So, like, they're they're really going to have a chance to build something there, but it's not going to be overnight. 
it's not going to be overnight. Nope. So nope. I don't I, I don't think it's a dead end, but I think it's a long slog. Mm-hmm. And you just if you would do that to to any quarterback, but I just even think maybe Bryce is a little bit more of a eh, you know like it's okay rolls off his shoulders. Um, and I think you know Anthony Richardson and Will Levis they're going to grow into it a little bit. Again, this is not I I just think he like. <laughs> I think he almost cares too much, you know, like CJ takes it to heart. He really, he puts it, he was talking about, again, this is the one thing it it sounded familiar to what he and I had talked about. He was talking about, hey, I don't just want to take off and run when you work eight hours on a play. He was like, I don't want to just go like, read one, read two, oh, well, run. He's like, we worked on this for so long. I want to go one, two, three, four, make sure nobody's open before I do this. And it's like, it's, it's all this investment. When you get C.J. Stroud, you get investment. So if he is investing in a team that wins once in the first 10 weeks, that is going to be hard on him. And I just think he's going to need a support structure around him to help him navigate that because I just think he might take it to heart more than some other guys would. Not that Justin wouldn't, but I just think Justin could get sacked nine times for the Browns and not have him have it make him doubt himself you know what i mean yeah so um but i think i think i think it has a chance to be a really interesting draft and watch bryce young get weighed and measured (laughs) it's gonna matter it's gonna matter to cj stroud what happens with bryce young with that okay that is our combine podcast from here the next one you will hear from us will be on monday it will still be a combine podcast because it will be talking about how the quarterback and receiver workouts went. It will be talking about what we discussed with Paris Johnson Jr., Dewan Jones, and Luke Whipler. But we won't be recording it in this giant building in Indianapolis because we'll be home and we'll record it sometime Sunday and drop it for you guys Monday morning. And guess what? Tuesday, spring practice starts. Is it 8 a.m.? Early practice we get to watch? Yeah, we'll be there bright and early. 8 a.m. So we will pod on Tuesday afternoon after we get our eyeballs on practice, after we... Talk with Ryan Day. Uh, I think Jim Knowles is supposed to talk that day as well. So we're going to have a lot of information, but we're going to wait on the Tuesday podcast until we have that new information. So that'll come later on Tuesday. But by the way, great time to be a texter because we're going to be slamming out the texts on Tuesday morning with what we see, what we think, who's running with the first teams, who's the first guy in the line in the drill. Oh my gosh, what does it mean? 614-350-3315 for a two-week trial there. For now... From Indianapolis, for Nathan Baird, I'm Doug Maurice, and that was Buckeye Talk. Buckeye Talk.